Welcome to Marketing Legends, a program within the WVU Marketing Communications Today podcast series. Marketing Legends features marketing thinkers, innovators, practitioners, and founders, legends of the marketing world, who join co-hosts Cindy Greenglass and Ruth Stevens to talk about their careers and share their wisdom with the marketers of today. Thank you for joining us. Ruth, we are so lucky to have a real legend, Guy Kawasaki, with us today. As you know, he is an award-winning author, evangelist, and a world-renowned speaker. He was personally extremely influential in my early career, and I know in yours, and his charisma is infectious and persuasive. Um, Guy did not invent secular evangelism, but he popularized it. Mm. Um, This goes back But he um, did early work with Macintosh, Division of Apple. We remember Macintosh. He's the author of 15 books. He's become the textbook at many of the finest academic institutions. And we are so thrilled to have you join us today. So hello, Guy. Hi. So Guy, let me pose the first question. Your bio or your website says that your writing focuses on the, and this is a quote, tactical and practical in order to empower and inspire. Can you elaborate on that? <laughs> what do you mean? Can I elaborate on that? What do you, what do you mean by can that? I make it? Do you know how long it took me to come up with those words? <laughs> My God. All right. So by tactical and practical, I, I mean that, you know, I, I try not to write things about, you know, this is the, the, theory the future big picture whatever you know ai is going to be big (laughs) computing is going to be big communications is important i mean i want something that like a reader sees what i've written and can take action so it's you know yes ai is going to be big Thank you very much. You know, that's such an insight. Thank God I, you know, listened to this podcast. I didn't know that until I listened to this podcast. Let me write that down. So what I mean, tactical and practical is, all right, AI is going to be big. So what's what's what can be tactical about that? Um, it'll help you craft your responses to Yelp reviews for your business. That's tactical. Now, hmm. practical, how do you do it? You open up an account at OpenAI for ChatGPT. You include the review, and then you tell ChatGPT, draft me a response to this review. And two seconds later, ChatGPT has given you a response. You may not like the response, so you say, (laughs) make it more formal, make it less formal, make it longer, make it shorter, make it into a limerick, make it into a rap song. So that's tactical and practical as opposed to AI is going to be big. Great. (laughs) Well, that may explain partly why 15 books have been such a, your, your 15 books have been such a contribution. And I, I'll tell you personally, what inspired me in particular is your LinkedIn profile (laughs) guy, because you are the only person I've I've ever whose profile I've ever seen that writes it in a personal way and 
I my experience as a reader of your profile was, oh, he's telling me the story of his of his business career. Instead of me writing it like a resume, you wrote it like a conversation. And I, I I'm gonna share that with my students. I think it's a a, a really effective means of communication. So thanks for that. Wow. Now you know, I just want people to understand you are specifically referring to the sort of intro, how I describe myself, right? Um, actually, no, I'm I'm looking at each of the line items in your professional career where you say, oh, yeah, I joined this company and uh, was it Max Gruber was a really important oh, influence Marty Gruber, on me, yeah, Marty yeah. Gruber and okay. other descript well, I, descriptors that were so are so different from the Dullsville <laughs> resume well, writing we mostly see well maybe it's because I'm 68 years old I'm not trying to get a date or a job anymore so readers understand or listeners actually understand this if you go to my LinkedIn profile I do something that in terms of daily posts and stuff as opposed yeah. to this written profile stuff my daily polls are highly, highly, highly political. You could not be more political on LinkedIn than me. And I can't tell you I recommend that for people who are at the start or middle of their career, because on LinkedIn, there is no reason to upset half the nation. Right. I, on the other hand, have <laughs> no fear of that. And I, you know, I, I just believe that I have an enormous platform and I think that right now our democracy is threatened. And so I believe I have a moral obligation to help preserve democracy. You know, talking about um, your positioning and, 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 and you've also given so many keynote speeches all over the world every year. And you do that with, you know, major corporations that are, you know, household names like Google and Nike and, uh, and, and interesting topics, you know, topics that our listeners would be really interested in, like innovation and evangelism, entrepreneurship. You know, these are all topics of great interest to us. And one of them you have spoken on is enchantment. Yes. And I thought that would be an interesting conversation if you would share with us like some gems on enchantment for our listeners. Mm. Okay. So enchantment, I think, is built on three cornerstones. But that doesn't make sense because if you use three, they can't be a cornerstone. <laughs> but, a three-legged stool. On three legs. There you go. So I, I think the three legs are, first of all, competence, and then there's trustworthiness, and then there's likability. Mm. So if you're competent, trustworthy, and likable, you will be enchanting. Mm. Um, I guess the question is, if you had only two of those three, could you be enchanting? I guess that's possible. But I, I think that truly what's what makes people or even products enchanting is that it does the job. And it is likable and you can trust it. That's it. Mm, got and it. See, that's that kind of is the antithesis of how we started this interview because that's not exactly tactical and practical. Um <laughs> so no, I'll it give is, you some it tactics. Is, yeah, okay? sure. Let's hear those. So I'll give you a tactic of likability. Now, this applies to in real life. 
So I okay. would say one of the tactics of likability is you have to have a good handshake. Mm. Not one where you try to crush people and not one where you're kind of like a little eel and you're slithering your hand. <laughs> it has to be in the middle. So that's tactical. Another tactical in-person tip is that you smile not with your jaw, but with your eyes. The mm. eyes are the key to a smile. And this is called a Duchenne smile. Hmm. So you actually want crow's feet. You want the wrinkles around your eyes. That shows, <laughs> you know, a sincere smile. Love so it. that's tactical and practical. That trustworthiness. Is... Hmm. Um, trustworthiness, I, I think the tactic is that you, you always think about what's in the other person's best interests, not yours. And so that's the difference between evangelism and sales. Sales typically has your own interests at heart, your sales, your commission, your bonus. Evangelism has the other person's interests at heart. So when I tell you to use Macintosh or Canva or listen to my podcast, all three are good for me. But, but really, I truly do believe that using Macintosh, using Canva and listening to my podcast is good for you too. They do say that about salespeople. The best salespeople believe in their products and feel that they're really delivering value. And from and the other help. person's yes. point of view. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe that that's the basis of your career in evangelism. I I was so impressed that you were an early an early evangelist for for Mac products, Apple products, and that you uh, then became an evangelist for automobiles and in other categories. So what what does it take to be to get an evangelist gig these days? Well, to, to get an evangelist gig, yeah, I think you have to, quote unquote, get it. You have to get it why Macintosh is so great, so revolutionary, so remarkable. You have to get it while why Canva will make you a better communicator. So it, you know, that's why I, I could not be an evangelist for many things. You know, like if Microsoft had tried to hire me as a Windows evangelist, I could not and would not have done it because I don't believe in Windows. That probably cost right. me a couple hundred million right there. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, I couldn't do it. Well, that's part of your trustworthiness. Angle, yes, right? yes. Yeah. So I, yeah. I think that a lot of it is, well, this is called guy's golden touch. And guy's right. golden touch is not whatever I touch turns to gold. Guy's golden touch is whatever is gold guy touches. Got it. And what else? You need to have a platform, I presume. Well, I mean, what what do you mean by that? Hmm, that you need to have access to an audience that the evangelized company wants to influence well yeah i mean that would help um but i i i don't think that's going to be one of the major problems um you know you it's not like i had can... some kind of special access to developers when i evangelized macintosh or it's not like i had some kind of special access to people when i evangelized canva you just go out and do it. Um, 
Well, when you're hired in sales, it's not like you have a special, you know, let's say you take the worst case, the hardest case, you're, you are hired by a, a medical device company. Okay. You know, I mean, start pounding the pavement. I mean, <laughs> that's yep, what no, it I takes, see the right? point. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 I want to go back to something that you said about your three legs of um, enchantment and um, great tactics there for, you know, a good handshake and, and, you know, what, what's in somebody else's best interest. Um, does this mean that people should learn these behaviors or is this something that just has to come naturally? And if you don't have it and you're not that type of person, this is not going to be natural for you. Well, Therefore, it's going to be considered, um, you know, you're not going to have it. So don't fake okay. it. So uh, one of my foundations of life is I believe in the growth mindset and this is primarily the work of Carol Dweck of Stanford Psychology Department. The growth mindset means that you don't accept what you are as the final product, that you believe you can acquire new skills, you can learn new things. It also means that you don't rest on your laurels so mm -hmm. that if you're quote, naturally good at something, you still work at it to get better. And it also means that, let's say you're naturally good at music. One of the problems with the fixed mindset is that if you're really good at music and people tell you you're talented and you're gifted and you're a prodigy and blah, blah, blah. If you have the fixed mindset, you might think, okay, so I'm good at math, but I shouldn't take up surfing because I'm not athletic and I'll suck at surfing. And then people <laughs> will think that I'm not this genius prodigy who can do everything well. So you're going to risk your image and you're going to risk your self image by trying things that you're not naturally good at. So the fixed mindset is, you know, you cannot grow basically. And that's just the antithesis of my entire philosophy. And so this is a long way of me answering your question, saying that I think that evangelists are made. They're not born. Ah. Now, the start of evangelism is a great product. And I, if you find a great product or a great service, I think anybody who loves it can be evangelistic. Got it. That makes so much sense. Now, how does the enchantment angle compare or differ from the remarkable, being a remarkable person, which is well, another one of your areas of interest. Well, I, I think it's a matter of degrees, right? So, you know, there are many, many enchanting people. These are likable people, trustworthy people, competent people, but remarkable is a higher bar. Um, ah. You know, it's... It, like in my podcast, I have people such as Jane Goodall, Neil deGrasse Tyson, mm. Stacey Abrams, Steve Fantastic. Wozniak, yeah. Steve Wolfram, Ariana Huffington, Christy Yamaguchi. I mean, we're talking about people who are 
remarkable. I mean, they're just like, you know, a few standard deviations beyond the norm. <laughs> I will tell you, though, almost every one of them is also enchanting. So I, I would say that all remarkable people are enchanting, but not all enchanting people are remarkable. And I don't mean that as a criticism because, quite frankly, there's a shortage of enchanting people. <laughs> but, but being enchanting is a good enough accomplishment, in my humble opinion. But my podcast is called Remarkable People, Not Enchanting People. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know about you guys, but we turn down roughly 10 people a day for my podcast. Oh, of PR people pitching you? Yeah, 10 mm. people a day ask to be on our podcast. So we have, let's say we get, you know, 2,500 requests a year. Wow. We only use 52, right? So I would make the case, it is harder to get on my podcast than to get into Harvard or Stanford. <laughs> And you know what? Well, you know, Guy, you are uh, a mentor to so many. You're, you are clearly remarkable and enchanting and engaging. And we just love to hear uh, what you have to say. Um, when you look back, can you share with us uh, mentors in, in, in your uh, life and can, maybe current mentors too? Like, like, who do you look up to when you have all these incredible people that you have yeah. access to? Well, let's... I'm getting old. So when you ask me two questions, I'm going to answer one and forget the other. So I'm going to, you're going to remind I'll me. I'll ask you the, the second one. <laughs> Wait, okay. Let's answer the second one first. Okay. Sure. So who do I look up to? I would say Jane Goodall. Mm -hmm. uh, Jane Goodall is pretty much at the top of my list there. Wow. I recently interviewed Stacey Abrams. I had looked up to her too. I think that um, hopefully someday she's in the White House. You know, those kinds of people. Uh, I love the sense of humor of Neil deGrasse Tyson. Okay. Well, nope. if you could go back in time, Guy, and, and, yeah. and talk to your younger self, a lot of our listeners are, are, are you know, students, they're at that a part of their career where they're growing, they are in the growth mode, not in the fixed mindset. What kind of advice would you give your younger self? Well, don't quit Apple. <laughs> <laughs> Invest in um, their stock. <laughs> um. You know, I, I'm writing a book called The Art of Being Remarkable, which absolutely addresses this question. And it's based on my career as well as my 200 interviews of remarkable people. Mm, great. And my advice to people, not that my own kids listen to me, but my of advice to not. young people, <laughs> my advice to young people is that, you know, you are likely to live to 90 years old. You are going to be productive for maybe 80 of those 90 years. And that's a very different mathematics than when we were living to 50 years old. <laughs> when you're living to 50 years old, you better make sure of all your decisions. When you're living to 90, you can make a lot more mistakes. So I think young people today, they're going to have two, three, four different careers. You know, 
You might start off as a doctor and end up as a potter. Who knows? Or start as a potter, end up as a doctor. So you're going to have two or three careers. You're going to have five, six, seven jobs. And so, you know, is it important that you get five on the AP calculus so that you can get into Dartmouth, so that you can get into Yale Law School? Hmm. In my humble opinion, no. I mean, so, um, and, and, and so I think, now don't get me wrong, as a parent, don't get me wrong, as a parent, like, you know, if my kids all got rejected from schools or, the, like, you know, I, it would like, it would really bother me. I would, you know, don't get me wrong, okay? Yeah. But I know intellectually, let's say you have a kid who just isn't ready for college or just isn't meant for that track, that this person wants to be a chef or an artist or a musician or, I don't know, you know, a circus performer. I don't know. I can tell you right now, every parent is thinking, oh, my God, I want my kid to go to college, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm. I am among them, but I, I know at another level, intellectually, there's a lot of time. They can make a lot of decisions. They can do things wrong, suboptimal. I, I bet a lot of kids, like, you know, they're afraid of quitting school or changing careers or majors. And, and I look back and listen, so I was like a really great Asian American. I, I went to Stanford. I graduated <laughs> early from Stanford. I went to law school the following year. And then I got off the Asian track and I quit <laughs> law school after two weeks. Wow. So now this is before people were living to 90 years. So you could make the case that I really screwed up, you know, like <laughs> generations of my family work so that I could get into law school and I quit after two weeks, you know, but quitting law school, there's this fear of the slippery slope. And the fear of the slippery slope is, you know, you quit law school and that starts to define you. And all of a sudden you're a quitter, right? Mm. You quit law school, you quit working, you quit relating, you quit getting up, you quit being healthy because you started with quitting law school and you just slid downhill. Mm. Mm. Reminds me of the domino theory too. Remember the Vietnam War? Another another fake slippery slope. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But what I what I love about what what you just said to the youngsters is that these students are under so much stress these days. There I mean we we've all seen plenty of data about the mental health challenges that kids have that your your point is so freeing for them that they're the choice of of whatever they do relating to school decisions well, is is not going to define well, them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, well, if I may quote none the the, the truly remarkable Steve Jobs, you know, yeah. you have to trust the dots, which means that going forward, you cannot plan how to connect the dots. It's only looking backwards that you can connect the dots. 
And so you have to trust that somehow the dots will connect. And let me tell you, I'll tell you, I'll give you a quick synopsis of my life to show you how disconnected the dots appear <laughs> okay. at the time. So I come from a lower middle class part of Hawaii called Kalihi Valley. It's the slums, basically. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I came from poverty and I suffered and all that. I, I, I did not have to overcome that much. I, I had a very happy life. I didn't know I was poor. So in the sixth grade, a sixth grade teacher convinces my parents that the public school system in Hawaii is not challenging enough for me. And they should put me in a private college prep school. Luckily, my parents made that sacrifice and did that. So mm. I get into this college prep school called Iolani. Mm. I don't know how, why, or when, but somehow some college admissions counselor convinced me to apply to Stanford. Like, <laughs> I really don't remember making that decision. And this is so long ago, Japanese Americans were considered an oppressed minority. So it helped you get into Stanford being Japanese American. Today, <laughs> it hurts you being Japanese American. So anyway, so I get into Stanford. Now, meanwhile, in high school, some family friend gave me a ride in his Porsche. And oh huh. my God, that was a religious experience. Okay, <laughs> so now I get to Stanford and I find this guy. And he comes from a really, really wealthy family from Arizona. And he has Porsches and Ferraris and Rolls Royces in his family. So we immediately hit it off because we both <laughs> love cars. The difference between his love of cars and my love of cars is he actually had the car. <laughs> I just had the poster. Anyway, so we become friends. Years later, he was the first evangelist at the Macintosh division. Oh. He, he hires me. Mm. So the reason this is after I quit law school and I went back and got an MBA. Mm. So he hires. And then I went into the jewelry business. I went into the jewelry business because at UCLA, the MBA program was four days a week. The fifth day was off. I had time and I was poor. So I had to find a job. I happened to meet another person from Hawaii who, who, ran a diamond department in a jewelry manufacturer who got me a job counting diamonds. I stayed with that jewelry company and truly learned how to sell, sell, hardcore selling. So now my, my nepotistic friend from Stanford hires me into the Mac division. I succeed in evangelism because I was in the jewelry business and I learned how to sell. So I get into Apple. I succeed as a software evangelist. And the rest is history. Now, mm. if you look back and you say, okay, guys, so I'm going to plan out your life. First, you go to a public school in Hawaii. A teacher is going to convince your parents to put you in a private school. On the way, you're going to ride a 9-11. Then when you get into Stanford, you're going to meet this rich guy from Arizona. <laughs> he is going to go into tech and he's going to hire his buddy and you're going to get into tech. This is after you try law school for two weeks and quit. <laughs> I see your point. You can't exactly <laughs> say, guy, you know, you really threaded the needle. I mean, I could see you yeah. had a master plan for young kids. Just embrace the growth mindset and the growth mindset means try new things, take risks, pursue things that are just 
interesting to you. Just scratch those itches. Don't worry about the P word, which is passion. Like you may think because you've read crappy books that you need to discover your passion. And God only knows if you're 20 and you haven't discovered your passion yet, you're a loser. <laughs> so you, you, you scratch a lot of itches. You decide to get better at some of these itches. God help you. One or two of those itches becomes passions. And then you pursue that until you find another interest and you scratch that and it may become a passion. So don't spend your youth looking for, quote, passion. It's, it's like, to use a dating analogy, don't, I guess I'm saying, date a lot of people before you get married. Don't there think that you, you gotta go. like pick the word, you know, you gotta thread the needle and find that perfect person. It's not gonna happen. It's the law of big numbers. So pursue a lot <laughs> of interests. Hopefully you find a passion, have the growth mindset. And if you're, if you know, try new things, open yourself up to vulnerability of failure. You know, the listen, if you try something and you fail, at least learn from it. That's the growth mindset. Right. Wonderful. Thank you. And that's it. That's Guy Kawasaki's secret to how to become remarkable. Now you don't need to buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. This has just been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Guy. We're, we're inspired. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Legends, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenglass. The WVU Reed College of Media's online programs is honored to host these amazing guests who have helped make marketing what it is today. Please be sure to visit go.wvu.edu slash mctoday to hear previous discussions, listen to the Marketing Horizon series, subscribe to receive updates, as well as learning more about the renowned WVU Marketing Communications online programs.